Hello and welcome to The Art of Self-Belief, hosted by me, Estella Edwards. This podcast is about the power of self-belief. What you think about is what you become. And this podcast will teach you how you can overcome the challenges you may face in your life and career. With over 30 years of experience in passionately championing women and diversity in the workplace, it felt only right to create a platform where we can hear from women who excel in their field. And I'll be chatting to them about their triumphs and how they've navigated the obstacles along their path to success. My signature program, The Art of Self-Belief with Estella Edwards, is all about helping women to learn and develop the mindset, skills and tools necessary to lead from within. I celebrate the incredible achievements of women in leadership, covering the wide breadth of intergenerational industry experience. With the help of my inspiring guests, the podcast will shed light on how to implement self-belief in a modern world. So listen out for some key tips, tricks and anecdotes to help you do just that. So let's get started. And today, for our viewers, we have the brilliant Eudora. I'm a big fan of yours, Eudora. Some context that we've had some good time together just recently in Sardinia um, with our passion of music and dance. But for those who don't know you, who are you? And what has your journey been like? Starting, first of all, I'm, um, I'm Nigerian by birth and then I became um, British. Uh, I've had quite a long journey to get to where I am presently. And where I am presently, I'm actually reasonably content in terms of... Um, uh, sort of what feeds my soul, as it were. Um, I mean, you mentioned off, um, you know, in the background, let's say, as you know, I'm uh, very passionate about music and uh, I DJ, I'm a dancer and a dance instructor. So um, I use the, um, I use a statement to, uh, accompany a lot of my DJing and music um, interests, which is I play music that feeds the soul and keeps the feet dancing happy. Um, and that is in keeping with uh, my philosophy of um, looking after myself and being happy. Um, I've had quite a long journey to get to where I am now. Uh, including losing my husband to cancer and getting through it by looking after myself and being in a place, um, you know, psychologically where I am happy. I know it sounds quite odd, you know, people might um, think, um, 
even after losing my husband, yes, I'm happy. I've had to accept that that's what um, the universe has decided that that's going to happen. And so... So have you always been um, DJ Lady E or could you give us a, a little whistle stop of the journey that you've been on? Because I guess it's not been just one focus, but just for our, our listeners, just a little kind of understanding of what areas of work have you been in? What have you majored on? Well, <clears throat> my uh, work life, I suppose, started off being um, a secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't that good at being a secretary. But strangely, that was fine because somehow I knew that I wasn't cut out to be a secretary. I suppose in some ways, um, I kind of tried... Things you know, that seemed you know, the, the, the typical things you know, perhaps a woman should do. I don't know why I felt that way, but my journey has taken me through various ex- experiences for me to eventually discover what I'm much happier with. Now, okay, so what mm-hmm. I heard you say there mm-hmm. is that some of the typical things that women would do. So, yeah. But then... It was you that may be thinking what you Possibly. were doing. Yeah. So what are Possibly. some of the things that mm. you have done that yeah. are the typical things that women have done there? Yeah, well, things like... Uh, Forgive the rabbit's ears. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Well, that's, you know... Um, yeah, well, starting with the being a secretary thing, I didn't enjoy it because... Okay. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it because um, I was kind of... I found myself in a, in a situation that I felt that I was being sub- subservient. Okay. So what know. are some of the other roles that you've done? The other roles, um, you know, uh, include, um, I actually tried um, being a model. Um, was it follow- tried, but actually that you won an award for modelling? So- yeah, I went, I went to, I went to, um, I, I went to, I, I, there was, I, I forget, at Fiona Martin School, which is, um, which is a modelling school, and it taught you how to do cut walking and that sort of stuff. And I auditioned, you know, for various things, and I was always told things like, oh my God, you're so beautiful, but you are so tiny. I wish we could stretch, you know, because I'm, I'm small, I'm five foot two. In fact, I recently, recently discovered that I was five foot two. I thought I was five foot one. So that was like, yay, another inch, another inch makes a massive difference. Um, but anyway, so, um, and I was crowned Miss Black Liverpool back in the 1980s. Um, but even that, Somehow, I was always um, in the back of my head, I was always conscious of doing something that didn't seem, for me, mentally fulfilling. And also, um, I was kind of developing a, a mindset that I didn't want to be seen as just simply a pretty face, if that makes sense. So does that link in with mm-hmm. what you said earlier about mm-hmm. the kind of, roles yes um 
So mm. I guess it's also about discovering yourself though yes. as well. Oh, definitely. So fast definitely. forward. Yeah, definitely. After knowing that mm-hmm. actually I'm not quite there with these roles, yeah. but I'm discovering my journey. What yes, yes. Um, I became involved in a black organisation called uh, Charles Wooten Centre for Further Education. My dad actually worked there as a, a lecturer. And um, so I was... I was a community worker and the organisation provided education, further education uh, and encouraged, tried to encourage young black people and black people generally, uh, not just young people, but um, even middle-aged people to follow the education, you know, um, education process in order to sort of get somewhere, as it were, because you know, people, a lot of times we encountered people who felt um, they didn't know where they were going and many people didn't have um, qualifications. So that was um, a kind of stepping stone to help them get into further education because my dad always believed in education and it's one of the things that he instilled in us. Um, So initially I actually wanted to be an architect because I'm actually quite a creative sort of person some reason that didn't come off. I can't draw properly, um, mm. but I have an eye for, you know, for, you know, for pretty things, I suppose. And I can, I can um, redecorate a room. I can put a room together. I can do a garden. I can, do, in fact, I designed, redesigned my garden, that kind of stuff. But anyway, so in in, in terms of the the, the work. Um, through Charles Wooten Centre, which was a, a black organisation, I then found myself uh, getting involved with a trade union organisation where a, a, eventually I was put forward to be um, a representative of uh, a black, uh, a black uh, group within the Transport and General Workers Union, which at the time was the biggest union in the UK. So uh, the union formed um, a committee called, um, gosh, if I can try to remember it now, because it's, a, it's quite a long title. Essentially, it was a, a committee that advised the, advised the National Executive Council of the Union on black issues, black interests, essentially how to... Um, help black people feel a part of the union and what are the things you know that the, the the union as an organization needed to do to help to retain and encourage black people in the union itself so i represented the northwest union on the national committee advising the union itself and setting up all sort of things and so we helped actually um with the issues like terminology, things that would be quite offensive, you know, to black people, um, just everyday things, uh, and also the sort of stuff that um, affected black people and discouraged black people in the workplace. And we, we recognise, we advise, you know, that a lot of service, servicing of members needed to come from top and disseminate downwards rather than you know, from the bottom up, because... So what did that look like then? So for our listeners, mm. what you did, what were those specific things that then got implemented? Yeah, it was uh, things like um, 
gosh, it was such a long time ago now, my word. Um, so what did you take away from it? Did you feel when, so, because it, it sounds to me that your career has evolved, you've done different it, things. Oh my God. And how's, how was your belief then, your mm. self-belief and your confidence in mm. shifting from secretarial work, yeah. modelling, to yeah. now with trade union, because that's a very different oh, completely. thought process, cognitive process. Yes, completely, completely. Being involved in a trade union organisation helped to politicise me in the sense that it awakened my, um, my interest generally um, about all sorts of issues. Um, like for instance, even just taking an interest in um, workers' rights. Um, and for you, people, Eudora, though, mm-hmm. the self-belief, mm-hmm. so have you always believed in yourself or and confidence? You said Oddly, earlier yeah. that you struggled with self-belief. Yes. Tell Oddly. Oddly. I didn't, I, I, I didn't always have uh, confidence. Why do you say oddly? Oddly, because, um, because to see me now, people who knew me back then probably would, um, would think it, it's strange to see me so confident because I was always the type of person that was, I, I was fortunate enough to be, um, to be amongst people who actually helped me in the sense that they pushed me forward, they had confidence in me, they saw potential in me, whereas so I didn't. had a mentor there. I had mentor. Like, for, for example, the regional secretary of um, the union at the time, who was Bobby Owens, um, an amazing guy. Um, I was friendly with his family and... He was, before he became the regional secretary of the union, he was my, um, he was my manager of the organisation, the trade union organisation that I was involved in. And he saw that I was taking an interest in a lot of things. And then when he became the regional secretary, he actually suggested that I get involved in the, um, the Black Workers uh, Committee. And I didn't feel capable of doing it. Why? But he, I don't know why. Mm. I don't know. So, so. Partly, because, partly because I didn't have the confidence to be able to speak in front of people. Okay. Um, I didn't feel, whilst I, I was developing my knowledge and developing interest, but to actually um, report in front of people, making speeches and that sort of stuff, it terrified me. The, the idea of doing that terrified me. But he never gave up. He, he encouraged me. He said, no, I think you'll be good. So what type of things then did you do? Looking <laughs> at your younger self, yeah. then, um, this woman is amazing, by the way, over 60, <laughs> yeah, and looking amazing. Um, but give us the mm. uh, insight mm. of what you did because we can all relate to, mm. and you say oddly, yeah. you think, my goodness, mm-hmm. I can remember the first multidisciplinary team meeting and go, yeah. yeah, and there's yeah. all these professionals. Yes. So what, what did yeah, well, you, you see, do things then? Like, what, does it mean? what did you do? Yeah, well, and 
what can our learners take yeah. away? Well, again, even? you know, this, this, <laughs> this, this, this guy who was initially my manager and who saw the potential in me and then became, became the regional secretary and encouraged me to go forward, he, he came up with, with um, examples of, um, because he recognised you know, that I, was, uh, I lacked confidence and I was a little bit shy, mm -hmm. and he suggested you know, that I, uh, various courses that I could, you know, I could, I could do. Okay, so there was which, training. Yeah, training courses, and they said, these things will help you. And my God, that guy was, he was so right, because I couldn't even, even though I was uh, eventually nominated and uh, voted to become the regional representative on, on the, the Black Workers uh, Committee, which advised the national. So I would um, attend a national meeting and then come to the region. I would give a report back to the regional committee, which was um, composed of various high-powered individuals. And that terrified me. But eventually, when I then undertook the workshops and the courses that Bobby... Uh, what uh, workshops? It was things like... Um, 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 making speeches, okay. um, presentations, right. um, you know, those sort of things, you know, public, public speaking, uh, so confidence building. What he mm. did, this mm. is exciting, mm. he invested, he's yes. seen the talent in you. And yeah. So there's something around... He, he saw something in me that I didn't even see. Only, the, the only thing that I recognised in myself was that I was developing, I was taking interest in a lot of things and um you know i would ask him questions um i would attend uh, a lot of um um branch meetings and stuff because i was i was actually interested in things that were going on because i i i, I even took part in things like anti-poll tax marches I collected you no know, food and money for the for the miners so i was i was actually be, i was taking an interest in in what was happening in the country politically. Mm -hmm. And he saw that I was sort of like getting involved in all these places, but when he came to sort of projecting my... So I, I would be like a, a wall um, flower, as it were, just in the background, observing, taking an interest in it, because these things really did, you know, interest me. And that was when he then suggested, you know, that I, I, I become involved and said, oh, no, I couldn't possibly, because I knew that it involved... Um, taking uh, notes, contributing to discussions and reporting and those sort of stuff. I could contribute you know, to uh, discussions, but actually reporting back to a large committee, those sort of things terrified me. But eventually, I actually handled it because this guy invested in me and pushed me forward and it helped me. And through being involved in that organisation... I then become, uh, became um, an advice worker. And then I, um, the organisation set up um, an advisory um, unit which advised unemployed people about their rights. Um, so I undertook courses uh, in employment rights and those sort of things. And that made me really excited. Um, advising people about their rights and that sort of stuff. And when I get excited about things, I become like a kid. I get really, oh gosh, I mean, it's like my head starts uh, exploding. So from that, I then decided I want to become a lawyer. I want to do this properly. And, um, and then um, by this point, I was working full time. Mm -hmm. 
then I decided, yeah, I want to become a lawyer. When initially I wanted to be, I wanted to be a model, I wanted to be an architect, and those, those never, but what actually captured my interest is uh, politics, people's rights, and that sort of stuff. So eventually, to become a lawyer, it meant I had to study. So I then decided, yeah, I need to study. I actually said to myself, okay, this is going to take four years because um, to study, to become a, a lawyer, to do the law degree, yeah. it would be three years full-time. Yeah. That would mean giving up my, my job mm -hmm. or alternatively um, carrying on working but study part-time, which would take longer. So and what, what did you do? I actually carried on working and 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 um and study at the same time so my my routine to actually get my degree to set me on a path to become a lawyer meant i would get up every morning i would eat my breakfast go to work um after work go to university at night which was a couple of three nights a week right. come home uh have my dinner study and go to bed about 1 a.m at uh, 12 a.m., 1 a.m., and repeat the same process every single day. I didn't have a life. I actually said to myself, well, there's not really much happening. I'm not missing anything. I had my eyes on the prize, which yeah. was I want to get my qualification. And I also remember my dad always used to say stuff like he could uh, never be too old to, to, uh, to learn, to study anything. Anything you want to do, education is the most important so thing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was a mature student. I was actually uh, probably early 40s, probably. Well, that's really just wonderful. Or just late 30s. Something. It's really wonderful, mm. though, I think for those who are listening, mm. it, a couple of things what I've heard mm. is that when you get excited yeah. like a child, yes. what that illustrates to me mm. is the spectrum that you mm. know what you want yes and when an individual mm. knows what they want mm. that there's an element of focus you said yeah. you kept your eyes on the prize yes and so you're very clear yeah that with your law study yeah even in your articulation mm -hmm. you were very clear on what absolutely that that system was of how yeah. you studied what yeah. you did mm. so you knew what you wanted to achieve absolutely. and so it's interesting the mm. navigation of mm. your journey yeah um and and to where you are now yeah dj lady e <laughs> yes. yeah it's a complete different it's a I complete tell people different yeah but also that i guess you talked a lot to me about well-being mm. and i was saying to you that well-being for me it it aligns in mm. with how you believe in yourself as yeah. well mm. so maybe we could talk a little yeah, bit sure. about sure the well-being and the self-love yeah. and because you do look amazing <laughs> thank you <laughs> well if, if i can just wind back ever so slightly to you know, what you said about, yeah, knowing what I want, which was when I was studying and I knew, yes, I want to be a lawyer. I need, I need to get my qualification. At that point, actually, um, I was single. And so I could, I could do that. And at so some point... Say to the women, stay single joke. <laughs> no, 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 That could be, that could be something. Focus. Because, because there was something, because there was something mm -hmm. that, um, that, that, uh, 
I, I met someone partway through studying and that relationship threatened to derail my, um, my, my journey. And that, that really scared me. And I knew then that it doesn't matter um, what my personal life uh, situation is. I don't care. Um, I need to get my qualification. At that point, I met um, a, a guy who was a barrister at the time. And um, gosh, oh my God, I don't know whether I should, I should mention this, but I'll just very briefly anyway, uh, at the point of meeting the guy, because I was so focused, yeah. I, want, I didn't want to simply just um, obtain my law degree. I wanted to get a decent qualification. I wanted to get a minimum 2-1. And um, all my, my hard work, I was on the path to getting a 2-1. I was getting great um, grades all the time. And then I met this chap. My way of existing at the time, he didn't like it because I would come home and I had a house at that point. And then he suggested that I, you know, to be able to see more of me, could, you know, would move into his house I could study there rather than him having to travel because he lived in another part of Cheshire and I lived in Liverpool. And so I thought, okay, that made sense. Um, and um, so I agreed to move into his house and he still wasn't very happy. He just kept going on and on at me, the fact that I didn't give him much time and I was... And he suggested, you know, well, you don't need to get your qualification because I can look after you and stuff. And I thought, uh-uh. No, that said alarm bells ringing. And that's one of the other things my dad instilled in me that always stayed with me, is I have an independent um, spirit, providing for myself and that sort of stuff, never relying on a, on a man. That always stayed with me. So when he s suggested, no, you don't need to study so hard, you know, you can give up. Um, I will look after you. I have a lot of money. And the guy was earning something like about a quarter of a million a, a year at the time. For other women, that would be yay. But for me, that was no. I don't want to, to depend on, on a man. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, because he was giving me so much earache, mm -hmm. that actually affected my studies. And so that reflected in my result. My next result, um, it transpired that my grade dropped when I received and I, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I was, because I'd worked so hard and my trajectory was that I would get my 2-1 qualification and in meeting him, my results dipped and that scared me and I thought, no, I need to get my, I need to get back my focus and I was crying and he, he wasn't happy that I was crying and he said, you know, you can give up and I said, no, no, I don't want to give up, I, I want to get my degree. So Sorry. what were the lessons learned you know because even you know the looking lesson. now what, what did you take what i took from it is that if you folk if you we can uh whatever we want to achieve we can get there don't let anyone um derail your path to your target um and i made sure once um he came into my life and uh, threatened to derail my path to uh, my qualification. 
that really scared me. And uh, I, I said to myself, no, this can't happen. And then I moved back to my house. Uh, I know he wasn't happy about it. And I said, look, this is what I want. I need to do this. You coming into my life actually disrupted my, 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 um, my studies. So he had to accept um, my decision that I'm moving back to my house in order for me to focus. I didn't have much longer so to do that. Eventually, he, I, I got my 2-1. How one. did he, well, well done, mm, but how did he disrupt your studies, yet you had this clear yeah. map? Or uh, if, so there's, that's one question. Yeah. And then the other question is, if mm. you said you're not making time. Yes. So, so we were, we let's were doing, unpick that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, so it was, it was things lesson. like, remember, remember that before I met him, my existence consisted of me getting up, have breakfast, go to work, uh, come back, um, have my dinner, study till midnight or 1am, or um, I go to work, after work, um, I go to university, do, get my lectures, go back home, uh, do a bit of studying, go back to work, go back to work, um, go to sleep, repeat the same pattern every day. So that was... That was something that couldn't, um, you, that way of living, you couldn't handle any, any relationship. But it just happens, you know, that, you know, this guy came into my life at a point where I was, I was studying so hard and I knew that I was doing well. And the time that I dipped and it threatened, as I said, to derail my path was when he came into my life and I knew that, he disrupted what I was uh, doing and he threatened by his existence and his moaning that I didn't spend much time with him. And then I did try to give him some time. Um, and giving him some time meant going out for dinner, going out, you know, various places. While I enjoyed his company, sometimes I felt, oh my God, he's taking too much of my time. I could be studying. I haven't got much longer to go to the end of my studies. You know, so please wait let's, um, you know, curtail some of the activities you want me to get involved in. I switched like, switched things like going away on holiday and that sort of stuff. I was even doing things like um, taking my books, my studies on holiday with me. So, so what, waiting. Are, what are the things that you would do differently now then? So, because yeah. it's a different time and... Yeah. And even for women, because mm. I guess conflicted with yeah, the relationship okay. and then yeah. still pressing forward, but maybe mm. taking off. What would you do differently? Um, well, what I would, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm possibly manage my time, maybe. Um, but the thing is, when you want something, there is an element of... Um, selfishness and that's that's important when you have your eyes on a prize either the people around you will come with you and support you or they don't that's a very good point right there you know um because if they don't support you then they're not they're actually ultimately not very good for you anyone who's good for you and knows what your uh intention is they will be there for you like the guy that i eventually married after this guy who was giving me earache about my studies and um he was actually i i discovered that he was a control freak he <laughs> wanted to control me he wanted me to eventually he married someone who then you know um she had troubles with him but uh, i was too strong 
Um, so that's another story. And then eventually when I met the guy that I married, he was so laid back, he was so supportive. Anything that I wanted to do, he just supported me. Even to the point of, uh, eventually, no, I, I took the path um, while I, when I got my qualification and became a lawyer and I developed an interest in dancing and DJing and stuff. He bought me all my equipment. He was very supportive. And he would say stuff to me like, oh, I would love to see you DJing at this major event. And that, you know, that sort of stuff, someone who was encouraging you and he was encouraging me to go out and you know, go to different places. Do In fact, he was, he was, I thought to myself, my God, this, this is like, he's, he's like an angel. This is the sort of person. So when you, the, the point I'm trying to make is, when you have your eyes on a prize, on something you want to do, the people around you, if they don't support you, they're not, they're not good for you. Um, and so me becoming a DJ, my husband supported that. I went out quite a lot. He appreciated that I needed to be places, you know, to, to, to be seen and stuff. And he, he, he just, he helped me any way, possibly financially, physically, being there for me. In fact, he was like my roadie when I had some DJing gigs. He would come, he, he would come along and uh, even though it was very tiring for him, but because he knew that it was something that I enjoyed doing, he enjoyed it as well. So he came along and set up in the, room, the room for me, do sound check for me and all that sort of stuff and just provided me with a lot of equipment, you know, to help me, you know, do DJ because he knew that's what I wanted. He printed out leaflets for me, printed out cards for me. That's all that amazing. Sort of stuff. Yeah, but just very, very supportive. Very. So in terms of your self-belief then, mm. and your confidence growing. Yeah. So when you entered into the field of law, mm. that woman entering the field, yeah, was very easy for you? No. It wasn't easy. Well, it was, it was easy in terms, the, the only easy path to that, if I can say that, was joining a firm that um, the, the, the team leader of the employment unit, because I specialise in employment, the two people who interviewed me, they were, um, uh, the best way I can describe it is they were cosmopolites. Cosmopolites are people of the world, you know, who are used to, you know, cosmopolite is like being someone who's cosmopolitan and who appreciates that it takes all sorts to make a world. And the, the firm that I, I, I made an application for and for which they interviewed me for the position that I was going for, the firm, it was an old agricultural firm, mainly white, um, in fact, I, I discovered I would be the only black person. How was that for you? That was, that was um, before, strangely, before I went there, before I got the job, some of the people that knew me from the trade union organization that I worked in who were really lovely and kind to me, they said to me, we love you here, but be careful where you're going. You're going to get a lot of jealousies and that sort of stuff. And I was thinking, it's a strange thing for them to say. Um, and sure enough, I encountered a lot of that. I was the only black person. First black person. Yeah, I was the first black person. And one of the things that um, I found out, a statement was made that upset me. After a few 
couple of years of being there, one of the things that all the lawyers would do is at the end of the week, Friday was the end of the working week, and we, we would all go to a pub down the road from the office where everybody would let their hairs down and people would drink and be jovial. And, uh, and when some people start drinking, you know, they, they let their guards down. A lot of people were fascinated by me at the time. And one of the guys you know, said to me that um, people were uh, surprised. They were wondering how you made it through the net. And I thought, what does he mean by What do you mean by that? And what did he mean? I didn't know what he meant by that, but he explained. And I just him. He said, because, well, you're different. I said, what do you mean I'm different? Because I'm black, apparently. How, you know, apparently that was something that I already knew anyway, that I was the only black person there. And so it was a shock that a black person, a black woman, actually joined a law firm that had no black people in it. What did that do for your self-belief and image? Um, well, I was upset after the conversation with him, and I stopped to go into those um, things after a while. And then there was, um, there was another encounter, but he explained to me, he said to me that, The reason why people were asking, wondering how you got through the net was because and they thought, oh, well, you must have slept with one of the, the managers that, who interviewed you because you're very attractive. And I was like, I was shocked. You email, yeah. and then secondly, you use yeah. your... Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, I was shocked with that. I was not just shocked, I was, I was quite upset by it. I thought... So, the, you know, they just saw me as someone who just um, had a, a pretty face and they don't, you know, don't recognise that I had uh, qualifications. And in fact, at that time, I was actually overqualified because what it, the, the job that I, I, I went for was a legal assistant. Uh, I came from being a manager of an advice centre. So I was overqualified. So what did you actually do with that then, Eudora, you mm. know, in terms of experienced mm. so you was upset yeah and i was upset how how have you then navigated how i navigated again what I, lessons have you sure. taken yes that's you're not the first yeah and you're not going to be the last no well, absolutely what not we, what, uh, what, what i've discovered in my life no a very good question what i've discovered in my life is i'm actually quite resilient i'm a, I'm a resilient person and i know that when i want to do something when i want something i will be persistent I will overcome in some way. It was, it was difficult, um, I can't lie, when I first joined this law firm. It was difficult to the point, you know, that I was conscious of the fact that I was, uh, I was the only black person there. Whilst it didn't bother me that I was the only black person there, in some ways, but the way people treated me um, actually Racism. made me, yeah. Yeah, but it was mainly, strangely, it was mainly women who were more, who were actually uh, hostile to me. Um, oh my God, so many experiences. When I think about it, and I was kind of raking back, you know, some... So, yeah, mm. and yeah, interesting to raking back. Mm. And so in terms of how... Mm. So it's come back. So did you just shut it away? 
I should I should it away. Just stay there because yeah. you said that you didn't you stopped attending mm. the kind of networks which I know mm. in law mm. are quite important because well, everyone kind of navigates together. Yeah. yeah. I'm more interested in mm-hmm. how did you mm. take care of yourself mm-hmm. and what did you do? Yeah. Given, you know, like the conversation that I was having earlier on today mm-hmm. and one of the questions that one of the enterprising um, women leaders all you mm. were talking about, how can employers mm. ensure mm. that they create mm. as an environment yeah. for black women yeah. that makes them feel mm. as though they fit? Yeah, now, as though they belong. You, yeah. So yeah. in terms of, and it's always a dialogue, mm. but given that you had so many experiences, mm-hmm. you worked, you developed, you earned the prize, you qualified, mm. so you're now going in an environment, mm. and I'm wondering how you just look that resilience, yeah. and how did you navigate that? In a variety of ways. Um, those, the, the, the initial years... Um, I was actually desperately unhappy uh, in terms of how some people made me feel. But also, at the same time, um, there were different types of people. There were people who were so lovely and kind to me, like the people in the, um, in the general office. I tended to, um, uh, to sort of feel more at home with them because they were nice, they were kind. And, and they find they you know, uh, they, they found me equally nice and friendly and stuff. And then my colleagues, some of my colleagues, they weren't so, they weren't so, so welcoming, which was a bit, um, a bit disheartening. But my team leader, and uh, one of the senior partners, the two people who actually interviewed me, in particular, one of the senior partners, he was ever so kind. He always used to, for some reason, he, he made a point of coming in, because we all had our own offices, which was good. And so the times when I was feeling a little um, um, insecure, I would actually close my door and just carry on with my work. And the only time I came out was when I went to the toilet or when I went to interview clients and that sort of stuff. So what, did the, what, what did the actual experience but, but do to your confidence? It, it, it threatened to... Uh, t- it did knock my confidence a bit. But I, know, I, I knew that I had capabilities. I, I did well with clients. You know, uh, clients you know, were happy with me and that sort of... So I did my job, essentially. But it was just... The, the environment, you know, the company of my, my colleagues just wasn't very nice because they didn't, it was like they, they had difficulty accepting that there was a, a black woman amongst them. But then I discovered, mm-hmm. um, we, and some, the times when we went out to the, to the pubs, a client of the firm a lot of a lot of men tended to gravitate towards me, and the women 
didn't. The women were the ones who were hostile. He explained to me, because I, you know, he's, I, I began to have conversations with him. He, said, he actually said to me, I think a lot of the women are jealous of you. It's a, it's a female thing. And that used to really annoy me. So it transpired that the people who were mainly hostile to me were mainly women because it was a girl thing, it was a jealousy thing. Some of them who saw themselves as um, the queen bee. And then I come in there and the men, I mean, I, I hate actually these kind of um, environments, <clears throat> excuse me, where women feel threatened by a woman who is considered, you know, easy on the eyes. That's the way I would put it. And so, they would make their lives a, a misery uh, rather than sort of, you know, be, uh, you know, embrace, um, you know, another woman in the environment and, and, help them get along. So it's the sort of thing that I, I would notice. And if I ever come across any woman who's feeling um, uncomfortable in any kind of situation, I make a point of actually going along to make them feel comfortable because I know the experiences I've had myself. I would know what that woman is going through. So with the experience that you've had, let me try and pull this together <laughs> now. Yeah, because it's just kind of like... With um, so the insight that mm. you did at the train union, mm. what do you think that employers can do mm. if you was to note it mm. to make an environment mm. that if you were looking at your younger self, what could mm. they have done? Well, it's difficult. Eventually, if you were leading, what yeah. could they have done? Yeah. You've got, yeah. Yeah. It's things like eventually, because of me being uh, being involved in the organisation, eventually they actually um, adopted. Because I had conversations with one of the senior partners who took an interest. Because he he was remember he's one of the senior partners who interviewed me along with my what was then my team leader. He would make a point of having a conversation with me as often as he can. He was very friendly to me. He made me feel relaxed. He always used words like, um, which was quite odd, but it was very true of a lot of law firms. It's uh, who you know uh, that matters and of people who support you. And he was one of the people who actually supported me. So there's something about having allies then. Yes, exactly. So it's about when, mm. you know, allies, mm. those that you do engage with. Yes. What were some of the How things they, that you would have done, though, to yeah. keep yourself mentally well? Because mentally, oh being my God. in an environment mm. where you know that you mm. are the first person of colour, yeah. that because often with leadership, or in my mm. opinion, when you mm. look at a paradigm, a paradigm, mm -hmm. it's a belief, it, it, it ties in with a culture. So if you're talking mm -hmm. about the law, mm -hmm. but then you're talking about many others mm -hmm. who we were paving a way, mm -hmm. but even understanding from self mm -hmm. how you navigated that because you're now 60, looking mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Someone else could have had a mental breakdown. Oh, yeah. Someone else mm -hmm. where I think often, you know, I call it the three Bs. Mm -hmm. the, the fundamentals are basics. Mm -hmm. You then have boundaries. Yeah. So needs to be some form of policy or mm -hmm. guidance mm -hmm. on 
how we do business. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives any type of balance. Absolutely. And whether it's men, mm -hmm. did you sleep with someone to get mm -hmm. the job done? Mm -hmm. What's the underpin for that? Meaning mm -hmm. you haven't got a brain, but you're here exactly. anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Forgive me the status. Mm -hmm. But into all the sexism, mm -hmm. you got through the net. Yes. And those terminology, the fact that you've raised them mm -hmm. and you come through with resilience. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost yeah. like not everyone would be able to come through that. That's no. what I'm saying, Eudora. Sure. No, no, I, I understand. And you're absolutely um, uh, um, correct to uh, to take that from me. Um and I, I've recognised over the years, as I've, I said earlier, that I am quite a resilient person. I try not to, whilst certain situations and environments may make me uh, unhappy and upset, but I don't give up on things. Um, and one of the most important things to me throughout my, uh, from a, a teen year, um, is actually looking after myself. Um, I think I was lucky enough to recognise that if I didn't look after myself physically, that affects me mentally. So whilst I was in an environment that felt hostile to me, mainly from the women, I kept myself physically fit and eating healthily. There just so happened to be uh, down the road um, um, a gym mm -hmm. that I would go to after work. So I switched so the off. stress release. The stress release. I switched off. I would go and have a workout and I'd go into the steam room and I'd just relax and stuff like that. And so I'd refresh myself every day. So throughout my life, I've always taken care of myself. And that has um, helped me um, to deal with all sort of situations that are, um, arise in various periods of my life that would have... Um, had the capability of sending me off the rails, as it were, because I have had experiences, you know, that, you know, that could, um, that could have sort of set me, made me crazy. Uh, but my health has always been uh, something that's important. If I feel good, it's because I've looked after myself. So when you look after yourself, um, you feel good, and you feel good because you look good. When people um, don't understand that direct link, they resort to a destruct destructive kind of behavior, which makes them worse. When people become um, depressed or unhappy about a situation, they tend to um, do things like... Um, Comfort eat, mm -hmm. but I don't do stuff like that because I know that that would affect me mentally. Um, so something that's always made me feel comfortable and able to deal with anything is actually looking after myself, nourishing my body um, physically, um, internally. That helps me to deal with anything. So it what, really has. What you just uh, summarised there so eloquently the fundamental is well-being absolutely about self-love mm -hmm. oh gosh and so important self-love mm -hmm. 
leading from within. Yes. That's a sense of how you can center. Yes. It's so important. Despite what's happening externally Mm -hmm. or going to the gym Mm -hmm. for that release, Mm -hmm. that's what balances your mental well-being. Oh, absolutely. Because sometimes um, people who have um, a lack of self-belief, they try to undermine someone who has self-belief. And I understood the psychology of this a very long time ago. Um, So when other people are not feeling good about themselves, they do try to bring others down because they cannot relate. They cannot, they feel threatened by someone who has a confidence or who has a resilience to deal with any kind of situation. The easiest thing for them to do is always try to bring them down because they don't have the confidence to be able to look after themselves. And, um, and so you're, you're a constant threat to them. I've recognized this you know, from a very long um, time ago. And, um, and in a strange way, it's like, um, it's like a gauntlet, somebody throwing down a gauntlet to me. Um, and internally, without letting them no, I will brush off anything that someone throws at me and just hold my head up high and feel confident. Like when I'm teaching, for instance, um, a lot of the ladies you know, that I teach in my class, um, they love my class as, as well as the men because I don't just teach about the movement, body movement and stuff. I actually teach women about how to be confident. I say to them things like... Um, um, I give them hints about how to hold themselves when they're, you know, when they're just going about their, their daily uh, business and how to get confident. No matter what's happening, have like an invisible crown that you put on your head. Don't drop that as soon as you go up because people will see from your shoulder whether you're feeling confident. How you sit gives away how you're feeling about yourself. So I tend to sit upright, and sometimes some people, and that gives a, uh, that make me, makes me feel confident. If I'm sitting upright and I feel that I'm commanding, I'm able to project myself. But if I suddenly slop down like this, you will tell immediately from my, from my posture that I'm not, you know, either I'm relaxed or I'm not feeling confident. So I say to the women, no matter what's happening, um, before you step out the door, put on your invisible crown, hold it, and walk around like that all day. Whenever, and don't let it slip. When you come home, take it off, and then you can relax. <laughs> nice. So any closing words that you'd like to leave our viewers oh, with? Oh, my word. Um, Around self-belief. What? Self-belief. Self-belief, oh, my God. Self-belief. So self-belief. Self-belief really. in anything that you want to do, you can. My experience in, you know, the early years when I, when I, I was studying uh, taught me that um, self-belief and having an, an eye on your prize is very important because um, if you don't have uh, something to focus on, 
you can easily lose your way. And also try not to let people influence you in a negative way. Often people say things, you know, you might see comments, um, statements on Facebook, you know, people say things like, oh, surround yourself with people who have your best interest at heart and that sort of stuff. And then some people might think things like, oh, well, how do you do that? How do you actually surround yourself? It's quite easy. Recognize people you encounter, whether they... They are negative towards what you want to do, whether they, they try to put you down. We can easily. So people are in our circle are our biggest influencers. So if you, are, if you are in amongst people who constantly gossip about someone, um, talking negatively about a friend of theirs and that sort of stuff, you get yourself involved in polluting the universe with negativity and um, talking negatively about other people and you become a gossip. But if you are in a company of people who talk about self-belief and empowering and uh, generally quite supportive of others and praising people and recognizing somebody's strengths, those sort of things you will feed, you know, from those type of um, um, influences. So we all have the capability of recognizing who is good for us and who is not good for us. And you choose the path, you know, that you want to travel along. I'm never afraid, you know, to be by myself. I don't need to have a lot of people around me because I recognize people who are good for me and who are not good for me. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode inspiring. So please do follow, download and review this podcast, which helps us to expand our reach. I would love you to help us to reach more listeners by taking a screenshot and tagging us on your socials. And you can find links to all my social media in the show notes. Until next time, when I'll be joined by another incredible guest, take care until we connect again. And most importantly, take action.